Good morning, everyone. It's great to have you here. If you're visiting with us today on vacation or walking around the summer, or you're home relaxing, or whether you're tuning in online, you've joined us in our Mark series, and we've been studying who this Jesus is. We're not trying to take our cues from anything we hear other than the word of God. And I trust it's been a blessing to you. Now, now being summer, this is a time where you often um, take opportunities to go swimming. Now, now, some of you have reached an age where you'd rather not swim, but there's others of you that all you do is swim. And it, your, your parents even refer to you sometimes as fish because you love to swim so much. And, and, and I remember, especially when I was younger and swimming, we would be swimming in pools, but there were times where we would swim in lakes. How many of you have ever swam in a lake? Yeah, see, see, so you can go back to these times. And, and, and I remember a specific time in my life where I was swimming with my sister. Now, I think I was in middle school. I didn't double check my age, but I, I think I was around that age. Now, I have an older sister, if you're a little newer to Renew Bible and don't know that, but uh, my sister and I were swimming and we were spending a lot of time in the shallow and where we were supposed to be, but the, the lake got extremely more deep as you went out into it, obviously. And we decided that we were a little bored and we wanted some adventure. And so we would play a game. And the game we decided to play was rescue. So the game was you swim out into the deep area where it was possibly a good 10, 15. It was definitely deeper than we were able to stand. And we'd swim out and rescue the other person. And so you would swim out to a spot where you at least felt uncomfortable and then the rescue would come. Now my sister went first. And so she swam out and then she got to a spot and then I came on the raft and I rescued her. And so it was my turn to swim out. And I remember this because of what happened next. What I didn't realize that my sister coming swimming out to me on the raft, she was growing more and more tired. And so when it was her time to rescue me, it was a little more difficult for her because even though I was younger, in stature and physical build, I was bigger. And so I swam out. And I got to a point where I got really uncomfortable and I began to just tread water until I needed rescued. Now, I let it go a little bit longer just so I could experience a true rescue. <laughs> and then I started to cry for my sister. Come get me, come get me. And she started coming, but her arms were tired. And I had waited a little long. And I was growing more and more tired where I was. And I was in the deep end. And everybody knows how dangerous lakes are. For if you go under the water, it's so murky, it's so um, dirty, if you will, that you're not gonna be found typically until it's too late. And so this situation went from a really fun day to something extremely scary because she's barely coming and I'm feeling myself getting more and more tired. I'm like, come on, come on. And she's coming and I'm, I'm feeling myself get tired, so I start going to her. You might say, well, how far out did you go, Chris? And to that, I would ask you, how well do you know me? <laughs> I went far enough 
that I was uncomfortable. So she started coming. You know, in those moments, I, I, I often like to refer to these as deep water dynamics. You see, when you're in deep water, there's a couple things that you're experiencing. One, you're really struggling. You're not kind of struggling, you're really struggling. And I was really struggling. Second, you get really scared. Because if you don't have someone come to your rescue, you're going down because you're not able to keep up yourself. And then finally, you can get really shaken by this because you realize how quickly a day can go from a normal sunny day in the lake to, I'm gonna die. And she was coming slower and slower. I called her last night and verified, was I under the water? She said, you were. When she got to me, I remember getting to the point where I was flailing and I remember taking my first, I got water in me now and I'm going down. She's gotten really close. I'm coming to her and I'm reaching for her. And she said, you're going to paint me in a bad light. I said, no, I won't. But, but <laughs> she's watching. So she's probably listening right now. So, so as she's seeing me flail, She's a little scared of that and she's trying to like keep me from flailing. But what she didn't realize she was doing, she was holding my head down as I'm, I'm underwater. I'm feeling my sister hold me down. I'm like, what's going on? Finally, I grab her arm and I grab the raft and I pull myself up onto the raft. I'm gonna live. And after I said a few nice things to my sister, I sat on that raft, really, Shaken, because I was really struggling. I was really scared. And now I'm really shaken where I'm sharing it years later. As you grow older in life, you can apply this to a lot of different situations. Deep water. I don't know what your story is, whether you're tuning online or whether you're in the audience and you find yourself in a season of life where you feel like you're in deep water. You say, how do I know if I'm in that season? Um, you're really struggling. You're really struggling. You barely got in here today. You're sitting down or maybe you haven't visited a church for a while and you just kind of turned the internet on because you felt like maybe that was something you should do on a Sunday morning today. You're really struggling. In fact, the person next to you doesn't know how much you are really struggling. And you don't want anybody to know this, but you're really scared. You've gotten yourself into some deep water. Maybe it was a financial decision. Maybe it was a relationship decision. Maybe it was an addiction. But, but the reality is you're beginning to realize that you're going down unless somebody saves you. And because of that, whether your body language is communicating or not, you possibly feel even today really shaken. Even, even doubts are starting to creep in. And if you're here today and you are really struggling, really scared, and really shaken, I believe God wanted you to tune into this message. Because if you're a child of God, you're not in as bad shape as you think you might be, especially 
if you would hear to the lessons that will be learned today. Because those of us who are going through those seasons of life, what I would refer to them as going through are times of what I would call uncomfortable faith. Uncomfortable faith. Has God ever asked you to come out into the deep waters? Has he ever led you into the deep waters where you were uncomfortable? You say, what do you mean? Uncomfortable faith is stepping out and the willingness to step out into a situation where you would be in deep water if God's not with you. Have you ever leveraged uncomfortable faith? For some, it's their first month in college. It can be a doozy. You might be heading into it this coming September. And, and it's an uncomfortable season in your life. And there'll be times where you're really gonna struggle and you're really gonna be scared and you don't want anybody else to know, but you're really shaken by it. Those are times of uncomfortable faith. Maybe you're in a season of life where you just made a big purchase or you stepped out in faith and bought a house or you've added to your family, praise God, but you're uncomfortable comfortable. You so if you saw anything over the past couple years is, is our society is in love with being comfortable. Our society is in love with feeling safe. And don't get me wrong, I like being comfortable and I like feeling safe. But I've noticed that my savior doesn't call me to comfortable waters all the time. He doesn't ask me to stay always in the shallow end. He doesn't leave me suntanning on the beach. He'll say, come here. <laughs> you understand, Lord? I mean, I don't know if I'm equipped. I know you're struggling. Come on. God, God, you don't understand. I mean, that's gonna be, I know it's gonna be a struggle. Come on. God, God, I mean, this is, I, I wanna follow you, but, but come. And I want us to learn how to navigate those voices in our heads that are either lies or truth that communicate in those times when we find ourselves in deep water. Because I got good news. Those times we find ourselves in deep water are often the times where we get to witness the wave walker do his greatest work. I want to call today's message the wave walker. It's in Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, 45 through 52. And we're going to visit an account that it's very difficult to spend any time in Christendom and not know the story, the account of Jesus walking on the water. And, and like every passage that you haven't visited in a while, sometimes you find nuggets in the story that you didn't remember hearing before. And I hope to pull some of those out because we have a message today that will speak to anyone who finds themselves in deep water or to anyone who senses God's calling them to the deeper waters than they're in. Here at Renew Bible, we love the word of God. We'll be in Mark chapter six, we're gonna learn who Jesus is from scripture today. And we're gonna see what this wave walker is all about. For if you're in deep water, you better have a safety raft. 
you can trust. Heavenly Father, use today's message to encourage those who are really struggling. Encourage those out there who are really scared. And Lord, may you inspire those out there who are really shaken that the waves they're currently going through are walked on by an incredible God. And may they realize that that same Savior wants to be with them right where they are today. May they do what the wave walker asks them to do. May they ask for your help. We pray these things knowing you're faithful. We ask that you would remove the room of distraction. We ask that you would soften our hearts to hear the word. And we ask that we would leave differently today because of having spent time under your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. If you were not with us last week, we saw Jesus feed the five Thousand And the 5,000 were just the men that were listed. How many family members did they have? I mean, there were thousands and he took five loaves and two fish. We asked ourselves, what's your five and two? What, what, are, what are your things that are small things, but if you offer them to Jesus, he might use them to do big things. They came back, they said to Jesus, all we found is five loaves and two fish. This is all we got. I mean, it's not even close to feeding everybody. In a typical service, we have around 700 each service. Think about trying to feed just what's in the room here with five loaves and two fish. Some of you might say, well, I'll reserve so other people can eat. That's still not gonna do it. You should come to some of our men's events. 20,000 20, pizzas, I feel like sometimes doesn't do it. The ladies' events, much better stewards, much better stewards. But, but the guys, I mean, we eat so much food. So I'm thinking about feeding these 5,000. And Jesus says, not only were they satisfied, there was stuff left over. Jesus, all I've got to bring you is this. That's all you got? Yeah. Let's work with it. Jesus, I, I, I don't offer much, but... I'm willing to give you this. Let's work with it. What's your five and two that Jesus might want to use? Your small thing that he might want to do big things. And he did something so big that day, it seems the crowd reacted in a way that even startled Jesus, including his disciples. You say, why do you say that? Look at the reaction of Jesus. He feeds the 5,000. There's baskets left over and his first thing to do immediately Mark says is guys get in the boat go 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 across the other side I'm going to dismiss the crowd go what 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 I mean you just oh okay okay in the boat go 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 the other side go I'll be catch up go what's going on here and then it says Jesus dismissed the crowd some commentators feel it's possible that Jesus saw in their eyes, we have a conqueror. We have someone who can multiply food. Let me speak to all the college guys here. What if you went with your buddy to Buffalo Wild Wings and he doubled, tripled your wings? That's somebody to hang out with. 
That's somebody to spend some time. Now imagine if you saw the man feed 5,000. He's capable. We're going to overthrow Rome. We can be a conquerors. Jesus saw something. He wanted immediate change to occur. And he said, guys, in the boat, go. You go ahead. I'll dismiss the crowds. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray by himself. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea. And he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Walking on the sea. All my church kids grew up in church with your felt boards. We just kind of receive it. Walking on, oh yeah, that happens all the time. Walking on the sea. He came to them in the fourth watch. How many of you have an idea of when that would have been? It's around 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. in that window somewhere. So Jesus was praying all night. Get your imaginations going. He's up on this mountaintop and he's praying. And he looks over the Sea of Galilee, which approximately took some two and a half hours to cross with boat and oars. And he sees windstorm come on his men and they're painfully struggling in it. And the thought occurs to him, I'm going to walk down the mountain and walk out on the sea. How did Jesus walk on water? I mean, how did he do that? Secular scholars have tried to make sense of this. In fact, some have been gathered into rooms to say we must make sense of this sometimes, uh, some way. You cannot just walk on water. I would encourage everybody who tries that this afternoon, you're going to fail. What happened? And so some of their, you can read about this, some of their conclusions were, um, it must have been really misty that morning and the mist coming off the sea made it appear that Jesus was walking on the water when really he had like a raft or something. Another thought was, uh, another theory is that Jesus knew the Sea of Galilee so well, he knew where the sandbars are. And he went out to the sandbar and stood on the sandbar and it appeared. These are things that you can read about as, as just like some ideas of how this could possibly happen, but, but, but that's not the eyes of faith. The eyes of faith don't read this from the how. And some of the hows are more ridiculous than believing he did it. The child of God reads a story as to why. Why did Jesus walk on water? Why? In fact, I had a little fun with this. I went around to the staff. I went around to some of our leadership and I was like, hey, why do you think Jesus walked on water? And I got all sorts of different answers. Oh, I think he did because of this. I think he did. Very insightful. You want to give your pastor uh, an insightful answer? So they all paused for a minute. They gave me an insightful answer. But the one I enjoyed the most was when somebody would say, um, uh, uh, to get to the other side. <laughs> why did he walk on water? To get to the other side. I mean, it's a path of least resistance, right? You just walk across the water. 
The Gospel of John says they had been rowing for about three or four miles. It was painful. He saw them in their pain, in their agony. He saw them, what? Really struggling. And he came close to the really struggling. Why did Jesus walk on water? I put down my notes to be close to the really struggling. Psalm 46, one says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Well, why do I wanna emphasize that in a series where we're talking about who Jesus is? Because if you're someone who has been abandoned a lot, you might have a voice in your head when you're really struggling that Jesus is not there. You might have a voice that you battle in your head that's saying, I'm all alone right now. If Jesus really loved me, why would I be struggling so much? But I can see from scripture that the wave walker walks towards those he sees that are painfully struggling. And so whatever that voice you're battling going, why am I struggling so bad? And it might be a consequence of behavior. It might also just be a trial that you're going through. That's not a consequence, it's just a difficulty. And that's what the disciples find themselves in. But Psalm reminds us that God is a refuge in strength. He's a very present help in trouble. If you find yourself in a season where you're really struggling, if you're a child of God, he's walking, he's coming, because he's a present help in struggle. What a father, what a friend, what a savior he is. Scripture continues, he says, he meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost. Now this ghost, it could be in that time period, maybe a phantom, some believed. It could also be translated even a demon. What is this thing walking on water? Because you have to remember, kids, listen to me. None of those disciples knew they were Bible guys, okay? We often think, well, they were Bible guys. Why were you scared? You're Bible guys. They didn't know they were Bible guys. And so they see this and they're like, oh my word, what is this? And they're terrified. They see a ghost and they cried out for they all saw him and were terrified. You will note when you see the disciples not around Jesus, it's often in distress. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Why did Jesus walk on water? Well, the first, I would argue, to be close to the really struggling. But the second one, I would say, is to comfort the really scared. Jesus is walking on the water. They see him, they scream, they're terrified. And he comes to them and says, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Deuteronomy 31.8 says, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid and don't be discouraged. Sometimes when we're really scared, 
we get really discouraged. Not only in our struggle are we tempted to think that Jesus isn't walking towards us. In our struggles and in our fears, we're tempted to get discouraged and defeated. And Jesus comes and says, take heart, guys, it's me. You could also translate take heart as be of good cheer. Cheer, hey guys, guys, it's me, it's me. Why didn't you tell us you were walking on water? I mean, this is an incredible moment where he says, take heart, be of good cheer. It's me, the wave walker came to comfort the really scared. You might be in a season of your life where you're really scared about the diagnosis you just received. And the enemy's gonna make you think at times that there's no comfort or hope for you. But scripture shows me that Jesus is walking by those who are scared. But there's something that stood out to me. I don't know if any of you caught this either. But it says he meant, anybody catch this? He meant to pass by. Pass by? Okay, so they're in the boat, okay? And they're running. What, what is that? I don't know if Thomas was down. Oh my word. Okay, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, he meant to pass by. What was he doing? Like, up on the wave, down on the wave. Oh, you guys are screaming, I'm gonna come over. Have you ever said that? And you're like, what, what, what? He meant to pass by? How many of you had in your heads, he walked on the water to go help them? He went straight out to them. That's what my felt board said. And maybe it did, and there's nothing wrong with that, but... I'm reading right here on Mark. He was going by them. What was he going to do? Get to land and say this way? Was he going out in front of them to create a wake that they could follow? He meant to pass by. It was only their hooting and hollering that made him come over. Why would he pass by? I mean, that doesn't make sense, does it? The more you understand other passages of scripture, the more you realize the best way to build interpretation of an event is to compare it with other scripture. It's a process of what's called hermeneutics. Are there other passages of scripture that could bring some light into why Jesus would mean to pass them by? Go with me if you would back to the book of Exodus. There's this guy named Moses. You ever hear of him? Moses got a call from God from a burning bush. Yahweh, I am. Burned, and it made Moses look and went over. And the bush introduced God as the I am. Yahweh. Later in Moses' life, something very intriguing happened. Moses wanted to see a manifestation of God. And so he asked. And Exodus tells us about it. And what's so interesting of this text is that God said, I'll show you my glory 
but you can't see me specifically. So I'll do what? I'm gonna pass by. Exodus 33, 17, the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. When God passed by Moses, he said, I'll give you my name. I think we should watch for in this story Jesus giving his name. In fact, the next verse says, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got in the boat with them and the wind did what? Ceased. Um, Mark, um, I'm looking here, uh, didn't, I, I kind of remember there being something pretty big that also happened in this story. Where is it? If you've been with us, we've talked about how Mark was not necessarily a witness account. And so he got a lot of information from Peter. That is what many scholars believe, that Peter was giving Mark a lot of the information. And um, I believe uh, there was something else I remember about this. And Mark says he got in the boat with them and the wind ceased. Um, I feel like there was something more. Can anybody remember what there might have been? You got to go to Matthew. Matthew says immediately, he leverages the same word. Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart. It is I, do not be afraid. And Matthew continues and he says, and Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Peter was never afraid to ask, wasn't he? You ever have, parents, you ever raising a child who is not afraid to ask? You got a little leader there. That's what you got. Okay, hey, command me to come. Look, look what he said, look what happens now. And, and, and Jesus says this, Wait, 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 that must be wrong. Well, shouldn't he say like, oh, I'm sorry, Peter, you're a disciple. <laughs> no, you're wrong. This is where God trods, not, you can't walk out here. You're just a human. Um, all you got is you and you don't understand. This is kind of how I roll, not you. He, do he doesn't say that. He doesn't say, it's very dangerous out here. You gotta be very careful because you, you're, you're probably not gonna, he doesn't, well, you know what? In your past experience, you really haven't been able to do this. So I would tell you not to come. What does he say? You see, when we worship a God of safety, lowercase g, we come up with a lot of reasons why not to go out into the deep water. And they lead to a paralyzed life. 
that is not going out into the adventures God's called them. And please understand, I'm not talking about lacking prudence, but how many times have you sensed and felt the call of God, but the waters were too deep? Jesus says to Peter, come, come on. <laughs> and Matthew says, Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Have you ever seen a child walk for the first time? There's a gingerness to it. The knees are a little, right? Imagine walking on the water and Peter, he's looking at Jesus. Oh, imagine the first step. I mean, he's in the boat. Oh my word. Looks, comes walking out. And, and, and scripture says, says, so Peter's walking on the water and then it continues and it says this. But when he saw the wind, he took his eyes off and he saw the wind and, and, and he was afraid and he began to sink and he cried out as he's thinking, Lord, save me, save me. And Jesus, and Jesus reluctantly and Jesus annoyingly and Jesus frustratingly. I cannot tell you how many people that we encounter, especially here at Renew, that have legalism wounds and have been shamed, mocked, leveraged, manipulated with disappointment and how could you and everyone will say, they have so many voices in their heads that are not the voice of truth that they've created a Jesus that's downright cruel to them. They'll share their prayer life with us pastors at times. I know God is so sick of me. What? I know God is so tired of dealing with me. I mean, I, he's probably like, so I'm so, I'm such a loser and he knows it. What? Are you a child of God? I am. I, I'm okay. He, he immediately reached down. He immediately reached down. Who was here last week? He immediately reached down. Ma, ma, ma. Come here. And he grabs that little Hugh lamb because he's a good shepherd. He doesn't condemn Peter. He asks Peter a question. Oh, you have little faith. Peter, why did you doubt? You were doing it. You had it. But he took his eyes off Jesus and grew shaken. Why did Jesus walk on water? I think one of the reasons I wrote down was to rescue the really shaken. Why would he rescue him? Because Peter cried out. What does scripture say? In Psalm 34, the righteous cry out and the Lord ignores them. I don't, I don't read that. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. 
the wave walker walks towards those who are really struggling, towards those who are really scared. There's power when you add the word really, isn't there? To those who are really shaken. Not away from, don't listen to the enemy. He wants nothing to do with me. If you're a child of God, he's your good shepherd. And even in the times you're shaken, because you're in uncomfortable waters, you need him to come through. Those are the times he shows up the most. But just as he passed by Moses and declared his name, do we see that in this story? There's one phrase I noticed in all three gospel accounts. Again, Mark does not include Peter walking on this water. John does not include Peter walking on the water. But they all include Jesus walking on the water. And they all include this phrase. It is I. Do not be afraid. You know, we're used to seeing the I am show up in scripture, but here we have an it is I moment. He's declaring who he is. This is God. In scripture, when the Greek translates Yahweh, it's hego ime. And it sounds in the Greek as if you're stuttering because ego is I am. And Ime is I am. And so it's I am, I am. We see Jesus saying, it is I. It's God. Do not be afraid. He got in the boat with them and the wind ceased. Quiet. The wind stopped. And Mark says they were utterly astounded for they did not understand about the what, what do you think it's there if you if you're reading ahead you're a guy but what did they not understand what do you think it is they didn't understand about um uh the ghost uh they didn't understand about the waves they didn't understand about what 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 did they not understand they didn't understand about the fill in the blank loaves what but their hearts were hardened this goes back to the feeding of the 5,000. Guys, guys, in the boat, go, go, go. I'll dismiss them. What, what's, they didn't understand about the loaves? There's lessons in the loaves that his disciples were not picking up on. He was just not a miracle worker that was going to feed them. He had a bigger picture. You know, it's, it's times uh, certain times in a preacher's life where his devotional life intersects with his sermon messages. And this past week, I was reading in a leadership devotional and it came to the loaves and fishes. And I thought, oh, this is awesome. I'm currently getting ready to speak on this. And I was reading a, a devotional book from uh, Dr. Tim Elmore on leadership and spiritual leadership. And he brought up loaves and fishes and the lessons in the loaves. 
And, and it's not typical that I necessarily share that with you, but this past week, I had a chance to talk to our staff. I do a leadership moment first first uh, Wednesday of the month with all of the staff from Renew Bible and Revivals. We gather together and I do a leadership moment and I leverage this with the staff. I said, there's lessons in the loaves and, and I brought my devotion. I wanna I want share it with you. There's four aspects that you can see at the feeding of the 5,000 that Jesus did. One, one, he received their five and two. We have five loaves and two fish. He received it. Second, he blessed it. He prayed and he prayed out loud and he blessed the five loaves and two fish. Then he broke it. And then he multiplied it. The lesson that was pointed out in my devotional by the author was that third one is powerful for the child of God. He broke it. There are seasons in our lives when we are really struggling and really scared and really shaken. And those are often the times when we're being broken. My sacrifice, O God, David writes in Psalm 51, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. A broke heart that's not hardened, but says, I need your help. You will not turn away from. You walk towards that. And if you know the context of Psalm 51, David has just committed sin with Bathsheba. Nathan has confronted him and said, you are the man. And he writes out, create me a clean heart. I'm broken. God often breaks down things in his kids that have to be broken before he can multiply it. The author wrote, Abraham had to be willing to sacrifice Isaac. It would be uncomfortable, but he had to let something go. Joseph had to spend time in a pit and a prison. It would be uncomfortable but it had to go. It was Moses who had to spend years in the wilderness. It would be uncomfortable. But God was growing uncomfortable faith for he was breaking something that he could multiply. David had to hide in caves while running from Saul. And the author concluded four things that children of God have to be broken of before God can really multiply their five and two. You might say, I wanna give this to God, but there's things he might have to break for him to multiply what you have to offer him. Well, what? The author offered four things. One, self-sufficiency. My belief that I can meet all my own needs. Apart from you, I can do nothing. We learn that in those moments that we're really scared, really struggling, and really shaken. The second, we have to be broken of our self-righteousness. My belief that I always know what's best. God often has to take a five and two and break us of that so he can multiply because he can't work with a self-righteous spirit. 
Three, the author offered self-protection. My fear, which leads me to close myself off to opportunities and to others. Sometimes if God's gonna multiply your five and two, he's gonna take you out of your comfort zone. You'll have to do this with uncomfortable faith. And then four, the author offered self-promotion. My desire to make my own name great. God, here's my five and two, make me great. He's not interested. He wants to multiply a life that has been broken of self-promotion. I don't know about you, but I referred to this. I think our society definitely struggles, and I know this is true in my own life, with all four, but specifically self-protection. We are going out of our way at times to say no to God when he calls us into the uncomfortable. And so I took down two notes in my own devotional journal from the author, Tim Elmore, of this this idea of two loaves and five loaves and two fish. And I put them under my uncomfortable faith umbrella. Here's the first one. When safety is our goal, we choose a life of maintenance rather than adventure. We play only defense, not offense. You ever feel like all you're doing is reacting and shielding up and building higher fences and making more walls between you and others? There's a chance you're worshiping the God of safety, lowercase g, and self-protection needs to be broken. The second quote I wrote down was this one. When safety is our goal, we select a safe God, not realizing he's our worst enemy. He breeds cowardice, steals our joy, keeps you stuck, complacent, and frankly, he says, bored. Why did Jesus walk on water? I think a lot of it had to do with to show his glory, but to minister to those who are really struggling, scared, fearful. I love this quote. It's not original to me. I don't know the author, but it says this. Jesus can love you more in one moment than anyone else could in a lifetime. But what I couldn't get over is that a human, Jesus being human, fully God, fully man, but one of his disciples, a fisherman, said, bid me to come out in the water. And we're hard on Peter, aren't we? We're kind of hard on him. Ah, he shouldn't have taken his eyes off Jesus. But I don't know about you, but maybe you're like Peter and you've been in a season of your life where you have taken your eyes off Jesus. And you got him focused on maybe money or maybe security or maybe a career path. Maybe you've taken your eyes off Jesus and you've gotten wrong with the wrong friend group. Maybe you've taken your eyes off Jesus You've gotten yourself mixed up in different relationships or maybe you've allowed substances to take control of your life and maybe you too have taken your eyes off him. But if you're a child of God and you're really scared and really struggling and really shaken, I wanna encourage you. He's coming close, he's passing by and he will grab you, but you're gonna have to call out for help. You're not getting out of this with, I'll get myself out. It's gotta be broken. 
I'll do it for me. It's not going to work. I got to conquer this and I, and I just got to buckle up and I got to, it's not going to get, I just, I'm just too afraid. I can't do it, God. I can't do it. Self-protection is not going to work. You need to call out for help. And Peter, he not only called out for help, he said, bid me to come. And he said, come. What, what a, what a father. What, what a friend. What a savior. He just said, come. Come on. God, God I, I, all I got, all I got is this. This is all I got. It's all you got? It's all I got. I got a paintbrush here and, and um, uh, a desire to be creative. Come on. Well, you don't know, God. I'm not, I'm not that educated. Come. Water's cold. Come. And Peter said, can I come? And he received it. What is it? What small things could you offer to Jesus that he might want to use to do big things? God, I I got a pair of track shoes and some fast legs. All right, that's what you got? Yeah, that's all I got. I'm not really artistic or nothing. Come on, let's use it. What do you want to offer him that he might want to multiply? He receives it and he blessed it. He blessed it. Sometimes, I love this, getting out of the boat was Peter's greatest gift to Jesus and walking on the water was Jesus' greatest gift to Peter. Come. He, he received G, Peter calling out and he blessed it. Come on, I'm blessing it. Come on. Okay, here I come. But then Peter got his eyes off Jesus and he broke it. A.W. Tozer says, seldom has God used someone greatly that he has not allowed to be hurt deeply. Just because you have been hurt, just because you hear some voices in your head that you think Jesus is mean to you, child of God, he doesn't kinda love you. He really loves you. It's a powerful word to add. Just for the one who's really struggling and really scared, he really loves you. And when you understand he really loves you, you go, well, then help me if you're so good, I need help. And that's when he begins to act. That's when he can take something that's broken, that is received and blessed and begin to multiply it. And when he multiplies it, we will find that sometimes getting to the place God can best use us demands a step of uncomfortable faith into the deep waters he called us. He said, come. Child of God, you're not alone. God really loves you. And there's nothing you could ever do to make him love you less. And so, 
in this season when you're scared, you're shaken, and you're struggling. You have a wave walker and he's coming. And he'll pass by in mysterious ways, whether it be a friend who randomly calls you, whether a verse that comes to your mind that you never thought of, or sitting in a Sunday morning and the pastor's preaching and you feel like you're the only one in the room. Jesus comes and says, I wanna be there for you because I really love you. Jesus can love you more in one moment than anyone else could ever do in a lifetime. What are you being called to do that will demand you use uncomfortable faith? You're never gonna be able to do it or you're gonna look like a fool if he doesn't come through. He enjoys those moments. In fact, he sees us from that mountain, if you will, and he comes walking right out to it. Be encouraged, child of God, that you have an incredible father, friend, and savior. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, in a room this size, I don't know the struggles that people are going through, but I know this, some are immense and some are really struggling. Lord, I pray that you would use the imagery of the wave walker coming to encourage them this morning. I know some in here that might be really scared right now at what you're calling them out to. It's deep waters and they're gonna be very uncomfortable. I pray that they would know that you wanna go with them, that they should call for your help. You get in our boat, if you will, and you bring peace even in the middle of a storm. And if there's any out there that are shaken by doubt because the storm has raged for a while, may they take a good examination of their life and ask themselves, where have I taken my eyes off of Jesus? And when they find the spot, may they confess it and say it was there. I started looking at that wind and may they cry out even today, Lord, save me and feel the master's hand. Get them back on track for what he has for them. But Lord, in a room this size with heads bowed and eyes closed, there might be in someone here today who doesn't know what it's like to have a friend. Doesn't know what it's like to feel like someone loves them, let alone really loves them. And I pray even today that they would see what a wonderful gift a child of God has in knowing Jesus as their personal savior. Scripture is very clear. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And there might be someone in here today that wants to cry out to the wave walker and say, I wanna be a child of God. I want someone who comes with me through all these storms both voices, the child of God and the one calling out for the first time, I truly believe you hear and your hand is extended to them. Lord, may we break free from self and may we grab a hold of the wave walker. And who knows, we might get to see you take our five and two and bless it beyond measure for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.